Welcome, and thank you for joining us for today's CME podcast. PrimeMed podcasts are dedicated to providing on-the-go clinicians with pertinent, evidence-based primary care content that won't take too much time out of your busy schedule. Information about CME credits and faculty for today's podcast can be found within this activity's landing page on primemed.com slash podcast. That's pri-med.com slash podcasts. Be sure to also go to this location in order to claim your CME credits after the program. Thank you and enjoy. Hi, this is Dr. Lee Lindquist from Northwestern University in Chicago, Illinois. And today we're going to talk about COVID-19 and seniors. What happened in nursing homes and how can we fix it? So the learning objectives will be to describe the terminology of long-term care facilities, appreciate the challenges within the long-term care facilities towards COVID-19, identify practical approaches to limit the spread of COVID-19 in long-term facilities, and analyze how infection prevention and control protocols in nursing homes involved. So starting off, we need to talk about this nursing home terminology. So a quick study. So nursing home, you hear that term all the time in the media, but it actually is describing many levels of long-term care. So skilled nursing facilities is the old-time nursing home, and this is where people get 24-7 nursing, physician oversight, and usually one nurse for between 10 to 60 patients. This is where we see subacute rehab going on and long-term care with Medicare as the major payer which uh, means that most of these skilled nursing facilities, or all of them, are highly regulated by the federal government, which is why it's always interesting to hear that many people want more regulations, because I think the issue is not regulation, but the issue is that people are mixing up terminology. Next level is assisted living, which is a dorm kind of lifestyle with a meal plan, and independent living, which is more of an apartment, plus or minus a meal plan. And these usually have a nurse available in health center from nine to five, and there's also memory care, AL or IL, which either is congregate living or has one-to-one paid caregivers. And these are private pay and have very limited state regulations, most oftentimes being treated to kind of hotel-style codes. So what we know is that COVID first came on the scene and we saw it hit Washington State, um, especially the Washington State nursing home or skilled nursing facility. And this was in King County, Washington at the end of February. And when you look at this case or how this started, beginning in mid-February, the facility had experienced a cluster of febrile respiratory illnesses. And so even in Chicago, when we started having febrile respiratory illnesses everywhere for testing, we actually had to get rapid flu tests prior to even ordering COVID tests. So in King County, Washington, they made them get rapid flu tests, influenza tests, um, and all were negative. And so they were waiting there for the results of the flu test, and then they were transported to um, the hospital February 24th, and that's when she actually had the test done for COVID, of which she came back positive for COVID February 28th, and then subsequently died on March 2nd. So that was a key thing early on is that the testing was so slow because there was all these hoops to jump through. We had to wait for somebody to have symptoms. We had to wait for somebody to get a fever. We had to wait for the flu test to get to come back. And then we could get the COVID test. And then also so many patients were asymptomatic early on that it caused a lot of um, spread even before we even knew what was going on. So in Chicago, I'm a medical director at a skilled nursing facility, and my colleagues and I all go to several other medical, um, other uh, long-term care facilities. And so 
in late February, early March, we knew that COVID was going to be hitting us. We knew it. Um, we didn't know how bad it was going to be. I don't think anyone expected it to be this bad, um, but we knew it was coming. So one of the things is that there was no guidance end of February, early March on what to do. And so we first, see, we first saw cases or questionable cases in our skilled nursing facilities here in Chicago early March. Uh, we're talking like March 10th, um, March you know, 11th. And so we decided early on to try to prevent COVID from entering just because there were these things happening around us that didn't quite feel right. So we eliminated visitors. Um, and actually a couple days later, March 13th, CMS put out a mandate to stop all entry from visitors. And we had a lot of pushback from family members. Why can't I visit my family in the, in the skilled nursing facility? And this was a key issue. Um, was to eliminate the visitors, screen your healthcare workers. And we started this early on, trying to make sure people that had febrile symptoms didn't come in, people had respiratory symptoms, you stay out, go home. And with those um, healthcare workers, we actually offered paid time off so that they wouldn't feel the need to try to show up sick or get in um, sick um, and spread the disease. And in doing so too, I think that helped a lot of people uh, from bringing it in. We had to make sure that um, healthcare workers were not spreading it. We knew from what happened in Wuhan, China, that the healthcare workers had a large amount of COVID. So we limited healthcare workers who worked in multiple facilities. We tracked where they worked, and this translated to physicians too. So we ended up assigning physicians, one per facility, or you know, people to COVID positive facilities, people to COVID naive facilities, just to make sure that we ourselves didn't spread it. And then we relied a lot on telehealth. And so the other thing too, is that we uh, worked on admission requirements. So some places were taking patients regardless of COVID testing. Uh, some of our COVID naive facilities required at least one COVID negative test. Some places required two, um, but there was pushback initially on requiring COVID testing. And then when patients came in, we made sure to screen and isolate all the patients um, entering and exiting, even for doctor visits. From there, we were trying to stop COVID from spreading within. So that was stopping the prevention of COVID from coming in. And then when you've got patients inside, you wanna stop the spread inside. So this is to minimize the risk of cross-contamination with non-COVID patients. So what we did is that we isolated seniors to the rooms, trying to do the stay in place rooms, and, or stay in place in the room. And what I saw is that many of the ALs and ILs were very late on that. Um, they actually allowed people to still walk around the hallways. The common areas were still open. The best scenarios were when common areas were closed, dining rooms were closed, seniors were not allowed to visit other residents, and people were kind of doing more of a private room situation where we eliminated these double bedrooms and tried to keep people away from the congregate living settings. And the earlier that was done, the less spread of COVID was in the building. And then active monitoring. So we were checking temperatures, we were screening symptoms of both residents and healthcare workers many times a day um, to make sure that people were not coming up with symptoms or having um, issues along the way. And then stopping aerosolized products. So we eliminated all nebulizers, suctioning, um, PAP devices, and also disconnected all hand dryers. There was a couple studies that showed that maybe hand dryers could be spreading it um, because it's an aerosolized product. And so the other thing too is we had to worry about PPE, um, so personal protective equipment. And a couple of our facilities, we got down to about 13 masks um, at one large facility. So it was always about trying to find the next um, outlet to get PPE. 
um, because it was such a vital resource. And there was many times where we've reused it over and over again, which I'm sure you guys did, and that's probably not the best when it comes to infection prevention. And that's where we really had to work closely with our administrators because there were still some administrators that were slow acting. There was also some administrators that were very fast acting and are my personal heroes um, because they were on board early with getting visitors out of there. They were on board early with trying to get PPE equipment in, you know, ordering, you know, things from different sources, whether it's Menards, Lowe's, you name it. Um, but in general, it was a, a multi-level effort um, between patients adhering to rules, healthcare workers doing the best that they could, and then administrators, you know, trying to enforce these policies early and not letting people get away with, you know, oh, letting this visitor slip in and so forth. So when you look at the policy issues that we've had to deal with, how did we get here? So CMS is a huge, huge um, asset to many of the skilled nursing facilities, and they had this great infection prevention uh, plan that's been around since 2016. So uh, there's three phases, and in November, of 20, November 20, 2016, every skilled nursing facility had to have an infection prevention and control program. Uh, it was there. Phase two of CMS guidance was that they had to have antibiotic stewardship. So this was looking at making sure people are on the antibiotics for the right diseases and so forth. And this was instituted in November of 2017. Now the final phase was November 2019. And this is where they made, CMS wanted to have an infection preventionist dedicated to preventing infections in the skilled nursing facilities in November of 2019. Now imagine if we had had that. Uh, because what happened was is that CMS actually changed it July of 2019, saying that somebody in the facility could get an extra job added on that would be an infection preventionist. And so many times people were just getting this job or this role added on to their current um, tasks. So that's where it got a little tricky because infection preventionists or people that are trained in infection preventionists, uh, prevention would have been a huge asset when we came with this COVID epidemic that started late February, early March. Um, but many times skilled nursing facilities uh, were not ready for this. So the other thing too, is that none of these CMS regulations actually touched assisted living or independent living facilities, which do not have IPC programs or infection prevention and control programs, or even people knowledgeable in infection prevention. So this was a whole nother area of people that did not have adequate infection prevention going on. So when you look going forward, um, what do we need to resolve? Well, thankfully, we've got a lot of lessons that we've learned. Um, but going forward, you know, there's been both good and bad nursing homes out there having troubles with COVID. And so instead of having punitive policies, it's important for us to look at why are things being done poorly? Was it that they didn't have access to PPE? Was it that they didn't have um, public health departments coordinating with the CDC or coming up with group guidelines? You know, were visitors allowed to break rules? And so it's more of a root cause analysis, trying to figure out how these got leaked into the facilities instead of saying all the places that got COVID were bad and all the places that didn't get COVID are good. Because um, I do feel like there's a little level of luck on both of those. So the other thing too that we need to resolve going forward is that assisted living and independent living facilities need to be included in these federal regulations um, because right now the states don't have enough manpower to go and say that independent living facilities need to have infection prevention programs. They're being treated almost as hotels. 
And so that's where we need to look forward going for regulations because we've got many more assisted living and independent living facilities popping up that are less regulated than skilled nursing facilities and yet are still getting, you know, bad outbreaks of COVID. So hopefully down the road, we'll be able to learn from our lessons, learn lessons from what we've experienced with COVID-19 and hopefully keep our patients alive and well, especially those in long-term care facilities. Um, because ideally, I'd never love to, I'd, I'd love never to see COVID again. Um, but just with the sheer numbers of different viruses out there, we need to be prepared for next waves, next surges, and also next, you know, pandemics um, coming down the road. But we will get through this, and we will all hopefully have a good summer, maybe fall. Um, winters in Chicago are never nice, but um, hopefully we'll all get through this. And we'll be able to keep seeing our patients 80s, 90s, and 100s laughing and having a good time. Thank you very much and have a good morning or afternoon. We thank you again for joining PrimeMed for today's podcast. Remember to claim your CME credits for the program on this activity's landing page on primed.com slash podcast. That's pri-med.com slash podcasts. Also, be sure to check out all of our other podcasts and primary care activities on primed.com as well. See you next time.